music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Welcome to the Hivecast. It's Matt Pinfield in the studio with Mumford and Sons. I'm here with Marcus, Ben, Winston, and Ted. Guys, Great to see you, first of all. Hi, and, uh, Hi Matt. I can't, it's amazing because the last time I ran into you, we were hanging out at one of the Grammys. Not this past year, but the year before, when um, Arcade Fire did that pl- that show in like the that that old hall that was down there somewhere yeah, in a really right. bad yeah, part yeah, yeah, of Hollywood, yeah. right? That was a great night. It was like the Lithuanian Cultural Center or something. Yeah, it was the Lithuanian <laughs> Cultural, and they were great there, weren't they? Amazing. Amazing show. It, it was just an, it was just an amazing time. And then right, uh, that feels like a long time ago. It really does, doesn't yeah. it? And I remember that night so well, but it feels like 10 years ago, not a year and a half ago. And the next time I saw you was when you guys played Bonnaroo and ruled that. That show was incredible. I think there was your second time you'd played there. Yeah. And there were about 60,000 people there. It was like just... In, it was dusty. How was the energy from that? When you play a show like that outside, because I know that you get that way, do you guys literally get like that dust or black soot in your noses when you're... I think we did that day. <laughs> yeah. It was so cool, though, when we played something like Roll Away or Stone or something, everyone would start stamping. And you could just see the dust kind of clouds yeah, rising up. It was very cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was good fun. It was an incredible set. I mean, there were so many people on the platform, other artists that had come to see you guys play and that were, were hanging out. The energy was, was incredible. <laughs> it was fun. So tell me about Babel. You guys went back in the studio with, with the same producer, Marcus, and recorded a lot of it at the same place where you did the uh, first album as well. Yeah, Marcus Drives. Um, we were really happy with, with how he helps us kind of steer the ship with... Um, signing more and so uh, there wasn't really much conversation needed about our second record Babel and yeah we kind of just went in we showed we, we, we shared some demos we started to get our head around what we were doing last summer and then since then we've been in and out of the studio been over here in America a bit on tour as well kind of dipping like jumping between those two worlds um, and then we're now here releasing it and we finally got it done which is fantastic yeah. tell me about this experience in nashville marcus tell me about that what i mean obviously you've got a lot of friends that live that down that area too and there's great musicians what was that experience like and what was the thing that brought you guys there was it the love of music was it your friends there to get the vibe we was um we'd worked pretty hard throughout 2010 and 2009 and uh, and we took a sort of two month break over Christmas 2010 and uh, New Year 2011 and then um, we'd all kind of gone away to different places um, Winston, you'd been in Nashville right? And Ben, you've been in New York? Mm. And I've been in LA Ted? I went to Bath He went to Bath. <laughs> and he doesn't mean taking a bath he means Bath England. Bath yeah. England, yeah yes. I went there for and a long so weekend. We <laughs> <laughs> a really long weekend, really long. a six-week weekend, yeah. uh, and then we met up. We designed it so that we'd meet up in um, Nashville the week before we were going on to the Grammys, and um, had to be in the states anyway. And thought it'd be nice to go just hang out in Nashville. So we we stayed in um, this lovely house, uh, kind of on a little farm in East Nashville by the airport, and uh, and just set up our instruments in the front room of this little house and and played just the four of us during the day and then in the evenings we had a Super Bowl party we had a <laughs> grill out in the snow and we had like a potluck and then we had just lots of picking sessions and, and so we just sort of sit there and play G chords and watch these amazing friends of ours play unbelievable face melting tunes on fiddles <laughs> and, and stuff and um, and really got a lot of writing done in that period 
and a lot of the songs from this record came together in in that time and it was a really crucial time it's that i think we call that the kind of start of the making of babel um which lasted a long time but it was kind of the start and then we went off and did grammy madness and then went on tour which was great and then kind of found little windows where we could rehearse and write together through the summer and then through the autumn and then really got into making the record really this year properly yeah, one of the things that was really exhilarating to see was that tour that you did when you took the train mm. cross country, and we showed a clip. It was part of the yeah. first OMAs that we did over. That just MTV. sued us. Tell to me the about ground. that experience we did with Edward Sharp and 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 you know some of the other bands that you toured. Well, what, tell me what was a, what was one of the think, greatest moments there? But I think yeah. like a great thing for us, like one of the greatest sort of ways that we enjoy music is through collaboration. We always have. We've always played with other people and. The train tour, Big Easy Express, was just a perfect kind of thing for us. We were on a train, about 150 people, the three bands, Edward Sharp and Old Criminals Show Us, um, just playing music all night long, you know, like it never stopped. And the shows were great fun. It was just a really great way to travel across America and see this, you know, massive country. Was there anything like for fans? Obviously, people got to see the show when you guys got there with you and Old Crow and Edward Sharp. But was there anything that happened on the train that was like, boy, people would have loved to have seen? Was it some songs you covered or so something? Much, that, so much, man. So much. We, we, we did it. We did do it. There's a movie that's out which kind yeah. of um, captures some of what happened. But I think that. We all felt like we all had a different journey on that train. So many great conversations, as well as musical collaborations, and um, you know, watching the sunrise over the Arizona desert as you're going along the train tracks and seeing like old, like the railroad revival as it yeah. as it was penned at the time. And yeah, it was just it was incredible. It's, it feels like a dream now. This uh, I wanted to ask you guys about. Your, the first live show that you ever saw in your life, the first concert you saw as a kid or as an adult. And who was that, Marcus? Who was the first one that you saw? Do you remember the show well? Might have been Christian McBride, the jazz bass player at um, the Pizza Express Soho in yeah. London. He's played um, double bass for Sting, and yeah. uh, he had his own show there. The drummer was called Terry and Gully, and I went with my mother. She took me on a date. Not in a weird way. Um, <laughs> Not was, that way. Yeah, it was amazing. It was awesome. I, I can't remember how old I was. I remember I had my skateboard with me, yeah. and he signed my skateboard, which was awesome. That's do you amazing. still have it? Yeah, I do at home. Yeah, yeah. Christian yeah. McBride signed your skateboard. Yeah. That's, That's incredible. <laughs> That's so now weird. the next thing is worst. What was uh, the worst gig you saw, or you feel like the worst let's gig? Let's tell some great gigs. Let's tell some positives. Yeah. No, um, tell us about some. Tell, uh, what about your your best gig that you've seen? Marcus Wind Wind what about what's one of the best shows you've ever seen um, we I think we collectively when we did Telluride last year we all watched um, Robert Plant mm. and Band of Joy play and they are fucking awesome and I think you can keep that yeah we can this is yeah. I think it's appropriate yeah <laughs> uh, they are, are an amazing band mm. and obviously we're brought up on Zeppelin as part of a staple diet, you know, you're brought up in England as you listen to Zeppelin. And uh, so it was like amazing to see RP play live. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but that band just ridiculous. Like, was it Buddy Meadows in there? Yeah. And um, so, so just, each one of them is just incredible. He's great. I mean, there's no question about it. But, you know, when you bring up Jimmy, he always makes jabs. It's pretty funny because those two still have that little bit uh -huh. of a... Yeah. There's some tension there. But, uh -huh. 
Regardless, they've made great music together over the years. I just ran into Robert Plant. He was backstage at Jimmy Cliff. Came back to say hi to Jimmy Cliff over in uh, in Austin. I really long ago and really. busted in, which was cool. And I hear Jimmy, and it's it was Robert right there. Wow. Yeah, oh, they're all huge fans of his. <laughs> what was the first record you bought with your own money? I'm gonna go around the table with all four of you. Marcus, do you remember what the first record you bought as a kid? How old were you? Um, I was probably fourteen, and I bought Miss Education of Lauren Hill. Yeah, it's awesome. Great and, album. Uh, the same on the same trip, I bought Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. Those are my two. Okay, yeah. Yeah, kind of blue. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. How about you, Winston? What was the first record? First record I ever bought with my own money was Backstreet's Back by the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. I learned every lyric to every song. It's a fucking great album. Yeah. It's awesome. And then what, awesome. That's amazing. And how about yourself there, Ben? Uh, I think I was... Uh, I'm sure there might have been some jazz stuff that was part of like educational learning, but yeah. the first one that I went out and wanted to buy off my own taste was uh, Tragic Kingdom. By no doubt. Yeah. Still one of the best albums ever made. It is a great record. And how about yourself, Ted? Foo Fighters, their first album. Yeah. Foo Fighters by Foo Fighters. It was the first record you bought, yeah. Yeah. I was a huge Nirvana fan. And then, yeah, and then Dave went and made that, which I kind of forgot about for years. And we were getting on a plane a few months ago, and I thought, wow, I want to hear that. And so I just got on iTunes, managed to download it, and listened to it over and over again on the flight. And since, you know, I've just been enjoying it. It's just an amazing... Did you get to meet Dave at the Grammys and say hello to him? Did you? Did Very you briefly. Those things are always, you know, too brief. Yeah, Colin Shapes are great as well. They've done loads, haven't they? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That kind of sums up Mumford & Sons pretty well, I'd say. Miss Education, Lauren Hill, Backstreet Boys, Free Fighters, and No Doubt. That's what we sound like. I love that you listen to everything. I mean, we talked about you You love everything from Radiohead to Benz to Limp Bizkit and other at the time, right? Yeah. Which is pretty incredible. As a lot of people do. I think people have more eclectic music taste yeah. now than ever because it, the access has just been opened up so yeah. it's great. let me ask you one last question and that's if, if there was anyone you could collaborate with live or dead who's, uh, who's deceased or, or a live mu- a musician you would dream would be to collaborate with Marcus Mozart's been on my mind a lot recently actually Mozart's got a lot in yeah, common with him to score something for us he probably I think yeah. so Amadeus yeah. How about yourself? Um, Winston? We're talking to Winston now. Yeah, well, I don't know. Probably, I don't know, Newfound Glory? Yeah. Yeah. Are you a big fan of theirs? Yeah. Yeah, pretty good Because you mentioned you like Blink-182 too. I bet those guys would collaborate with you. I'd be interested, yeah. And how about yourself, Ted? It's maybe breaking on sort of unoriginal, but I'd love to cut like a psychedelic blues record with Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Come on. Why not? Yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Great fun. Yeah. Patty's a really nice guy. I can think know. of reasons why not, actually. Really? Well, no. Not, well, no. You'd probably show him up, Ted. It'd be a bit awkward. In yeah, it would be awkward. Yeah. 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 And how about yourself, <laughs> I'd love to share some verses with Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like... Get like a duet, yeah. Ben yeah. writes his amazing raps, and we're yeah. like, like, where can I this project? Nowhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you actually do rap? It's not the yeah. right avenue, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find myself rapping more than. Uh, like, well, uh, tell me anything, about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just couldn't quite find the words. <laughs> now, speaking of the music that you're involved with, your record label, Communion. Yeah. Which, uh, how many artists are you putting <coughs> on your on your label at this point? Like thirty odd records. Yeah. Um, it's been a great like thing. I've been doing with a couple of people on the side of the band and I think there's something that, that we've shared as Muffin Sons is a real love of 
like music and communities and things like that. Yeah. We, we, we discover stuff all the time. So mm. communion was just one of the avenues that I found to share that beyond and to, to other people. But there's, there's so much great new music out there. It'd be great if people were just, you know, committed to finding it. Yeah. Um, you wish that they wouldn't just look at the things that are kind of like just on the cream of the top. They dig a little yeah. deeper. Yeah, and we, we, we try to do that as a band, like with with our the bands who come out and tour with us. Yeah. We put a lot of effort and a lot of conversation goes into trying to find bands that really inspire us as a band. Yeah. Um, so if people want to know what we like as four of us that's normally a pretty good start to look at who, who's opening up those shows alright great well, Dick, so people can definitely check out if they haven't Old Grow Medicine show great band yeah and we're sharpening the magnetic zeros who's going to go out on the road with you guys this time have you We've made got a decision Aaron Embry who is uh, he was the keys player with Edward Sharp yeah he's just made an album called Tiny Prayers it's his second record it's coming out quite soon and it's unbelievable so we're all looking forward to sharing the road with him and then Dawes yeah we're a great band by yeah Amazing band. Really One of our favorites. Well. Guys, the title track of the record, <clears throat> Babel, tell me a bit about the lyrics to this song and what this song is about. Uh, well, this song is um, it's, uh, it's quite a different sort of um, song writing-wise to other songs that we've had in the past. It's not um, a straight down the line. Uh, we never really like to explain what our songs are about because it feels like you don't want to prescribe an emotion that you know, is already in some way accessible. Um, but, you know, to pin it down in one specific way is... Um, I don't I don't like it when I hear songwriters tell me exactly what their song is about because I like to feel it, feel yes. it out and not, not have a, an emotion prescribed for me. But it's more of a kind of fuck you song than we've had before, yeah. which is fun to have, and uh, we kind of enjoy it. Yeah, I think so too, and it must be fun to do live too. Well, we haven't we haven't been playing it live yet, so that'll be a fun thing to oh. get into. And tell me about Whispers in the Dark, which is the first single on the record. That's um, one of the sort of oldest songs, really, um, on the album. We've been playing it in various sort of different ways. There was a time when Ben was playing the drums. It was a much rockier song, and it's sort of... It's taken a really nice sort of journey on on the stage and then onto the record. I feel like we captured it in a really in a really nice way for me. It's sort of a real sort of cornerstone of of this album. Yeah, it's a great track. Now, I will wait. Is that a personal song about someone in particular? <laughs> We've been on a bit of a journey with all these songs, but that was one that we kind of pieced together from different parts of our people may recognize elements of the song. Yes, from um, uh, a previous song that we we didn't actually um, put on um, Sign No More so when we finally finished it it is as you hear it it took us a while to finally find exactly how we wanted to represent that song and, yeah. mm-hmm. it never felt entirely complete as um, as nothing is written it never felt like it was uh, fully realised as a song Yeah. until um, we got the chorus really Ben came along with this chorus that kind of blew us all away and um and then suddenly the song started making more sense to us. And, uh, yeah, it's a hard song to sing live. Yeah. It's a real screamer. So um, we kind of have to save up our energies for it. But it's a fun song to play. Now, Holland Road, is there an actual place called Holland Road that inspired the title of the song? There is. It's in uh, West London in Shepherd's Bush. Um, it's a long, boring road uh, <laughs> called Holland Road. And, yeah, that's a song that came together through sitting down together and all bringing 
different bits and bobs to the song and um and was one of the later songs to make it on the record kind of got written sort of halfway through the process actually and when it arrived on the scene we were all quite excited about it and um one of the songs that we've kind of been saving to play fresh when the record came out yeah well it's gonna i think it's gonna be a big part of the live show just because it's such mm. a great track one of it, my favorites it really, it really helps us kind of <coughs> make sense the record in a, in a weird way like we were end of 2011 we had kind of we'd made the beginnings of babel yeah and that was as marcus said about the time that holland road appeared and it, and it really helped kind of tie together some of the musical and lyrical themes that were coming into play and mm. um it was then that we started to really just physically grasp what we were trying to do which was, which does make it a cornerstone of the record as well in a song like uh, lover of the light who does the pr- primary lyric writing on that track does it change from song to song it does change from from song to song i i, I took the uh lead lyrical role on lover of the light and that was kind of it started out as a bit more of a an fu song as well um and that kind of started on the uh on the sign first sign and more uk tour that we did with a band called sons of nolan adrian um in cambridge at a venue called the junction and um and yeah it evolved from there um live i get to play some drums on that which is fun and we have a, a long featured banjo part in that song yeah which um Basically came back because Winnie begged and begged and begged. <laughs> 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 it's going to be on the new record. <laughs> That's great. Now tell us about Lover's Eyes. Winston, what was that recording, that track like for you and what was the experience? Uh, well, that song came together in um, Nashville. Uh, we sort of took a couple of months off and um, that was last January or something. We all got back together for a week in Nashville at, uh, friend's house and um that and a few our weight came together then and so it's, it was quite fun to record fun, one of the first ones we recorded i think as well yeah i remember recording that pretty early yeah now you mentioned a reminder really kind of changed tempos when you uh ended up recording yeah. reminder that was one of the songs that started out as a more rocky song and then was pulled back tell me about that process yeah i mean i think we we're very keen to make a a cohesive record not a concept record but a record that had like a journey through it so it wasn't just a collection of songs and that stood as a bunch of different independent islands amongst an album it was really important that that the right songs recorded in a way that represented those songs in an appropriate way for this album stood shoulder to shoulder so Reminder can exist in a couple of ways we're thinking about maybe performing it in the live way. I mean, we, we, we're not entirely sure, but we treat the two mm-hmm. things separately. And on the record, reminder, it's more reflective, it takes yeah. a more reflective role. It's funny, we always talk about serving the song and making sure, you know, that the song is represented in its sort of correct way and its best possible way to convey a sentiment or whatever. And that, that's obviously of huge importance to us, but there's also something a new skill that we're learning which is kind of serving the record you need to sort of you know fit those songs together and make a an album that is strong so it's balancing those two things i guess i, I remember when we were cutting it because we really we stripped it that we stripped so much out of that song and i remember cutting it marcus playing a guitar vocal um live and there was i believe two takes mm. it was a choice between two takes which yeah. was actually I mean that and a couple of other 
of the songs that we've already spoken about and a couple of more that we will talk about were cut live, which is set completely different to to sign and more. This is the first time that we were actually recording, just capturing like moments in a room, almost like like they used to do. Um, back in the days, you back know, in the day, yeah. And um, recording live to tape. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we 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 recorded live to computer. Yeah, um, but I'm saying back in the day. Yeah, you know, no, no, like, exactly. Yeah, you saw same. like you know the Elvis in the Sun sessions and the guys yeah. just sitting yeah. there playing and it's, it you know, changes your mentality when when recording because you you don't you can't just fix everything. You can't just you leave the blemishes. You leave the moments. You leave the little things. And um, a lot of our favorite bands record like that and it's something that we I, I think we want to do more of yeah. as we grow up as a band and become hopefully better musicians and more capable of recording like that oh you're doing great hopeless wanderer another track of the record is uh is a it's got a really good feel to it too it's it's a great song lyrically also you it's the first time you guys did some double track vocals which was how was that was that a comfortable uncomfortable situation to do something like that? it was uncomfortable to start with because it sounds so different sounds so strange you know double tracking vocals is an effect that we love on other records but we'd never tried it with mumford and sons and um and it can be a really powerful tool sometimes um quite an assertive tool and and one that we didn't shy away from this time. I guess that was part of our kind of uh, more confident outlook in yes. the recording process, just being like, screw it, let's try it, and if it sounds good, let's keep it. And so we we did that. Hopeless Wanderer came together again in this week that we keep referring to um, when we were in Nashville together in January 2011. I woke up one morning and I was <laughs> in my bedroom. Bless you. Bless my you, my bedroom way. was next door to the room where we were rehearsing, the living room, and I woke up to this piano melody that Ben was playing, um, that I just like it was too early for me to actually get up, but because um, I'm not I'm quite a late riser. But I pulled myself out of bed. I was like, I've got to get in that room and listen to what's going on. And and that song sort of came together from from various parts. Um, but yeah, was written in Nashville again. Yeah, it must have been a great place for you to write because I know that you love so much music that's come out of there. And people from Nashville that would yeah. come mm. over in the evenings and jam with us, and it was a really inspiring time. Yeah, that sounds great. Now, Broken Crown is a track that, like you said, you guys had developed on the road originally. There's some interesting time changes on this track. Tell me about it. I think, like, Broken Crown probably explores a bit more of the darker sides of our band that we, for whatever reason, it, it delves a little bit deeper than where we got to with Sign No More. Um, in some ways, the writing has got m- more intimate, but then more, like, the highs are higher and the lows are lower and different... Like it's just more extreme this record, mm. so Broken Crown. That's where it gets pretty heavy, and we didn't want to um, shy away from that. How about Below My Feet? Tell me about uh, the writing of that song. Below My Feet came together in a sound check in Melbourne, Australia, when we were playing the same venue two nights in a row. And so the second day, the venue let us open the doors and, and go in and rehearse for the afternoon. And um, the night before, there'd been little bits and bobs written and literally in the dressing room toilet. And um, we all kind of got excited about it and then sat down and started playing it together in Melbourne and I think debuted it that, that mm. night. Um, and since then, it's had a lot of work done to it. But it was really, you know, like, like we said before, we really enjoy, you know, practicing a sound check and then actually playing it live for the first time directly afterwards in front yeah. of fans. You know, and it's not ready, it's not polished, but it's, you know, a work in progress. And yeah. so... In that sense, a lot of these songs on this record, you know, our audiences have been a real part of the writing process. So um, I think they can feel more ownership on this record than Sign No More, probably. Mm. 
That's great. Now the closing track, not with haste. Tell me about this song. Lyrically, this this uh, again was Marcus bringing uh, another story to the table, and it felt like a in a way that Babel was just the perfect opener. This felt like the perfect conclusion to this record, and um, we cut it live yeah. in this beautiful studio. Where did you record it? It's just outside of Oxford in a place called Banbury in this like farmhouse studios called Angelic Studios and yeah we just kind of super simple double bass and acoustic piano and um, acoustic banjo and guitar you know that's and just uh, us singing so it's like yeah. just just the basic components mm. of what we are as a band and yeah. uh, there's there's moments where we go slightly more off piece with that on this album we've we explore different sounds, we try new things, and this kind of brought it all back home to what, what we do. It's great to return there, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. to sort of end the album. Just with, with a very stripped... Spinal, yeah. yeah, sort of four. four it's a great... It is. It's, got, it's a great place to end there. It's, it's a great track as well. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your influences and the things that you love growing up. Uh, the artists that have made you want, want to pick up an instrument and play and write or sing or... Who was who was the person for you, Marcus, or a band? Or there were a ton, you know. Growing up, my older brother was um, was the guy who who fed me music, and also my my drum teacher at school. And so I was fed, you know, one style of music from my brother, which was the more bandy kind of, you know, late nineties pop was in there. But also um, we had a, the Bruce Springsteen Greatest Hit CD in the car for probably five summers running when we were a family going on holiday to our. Like to a little place in um, in Cornwall, and um, and then and I was being fed jazz by my drum teacher. And we all had that kind of experience. We had people in our lives. Mm. I think everyone does who who feed you music, who are kind of yeah. like your drug dealers for good <laughs> for good songs. And um, we were we were recently at a festival watching. Um, it's amazing how much you forget. We were watching Radiohead play in Spain, and um, and they for me they were the band that really introduced me to the album. They really introduced me to the listening to a collection of songs all the way through and then going back and doing it again. For me, I'd always listen to songs or greatest hits, all that stuff which you do when you're young. And then you really, make that jump. Right? Yeah, you make that jump and take ownership of a of loving a band. And they were the ones, they were the band for me that really kind of got me into the, listening to a whole album, getting down and... Um, and which one was it? Was it the Benz or OK Computer? Yeah, it was the Benz. Yeah, yeah for me, that was the one my brother fed me. But then from then on, like when I was just finishing school, Hell to, Hell to the Thief came out, which is my yeah. favorite Radiohead album. And I took that with me when I went traveling after school, after high school, and, and just listened to that to the ground. And then, of course, Funeral came out by Arcade Fire, and then I was done. That yeah. Was finished. <laughs> <laughs> Great records, absolutely. Winston, how about you? You know, I love your, your tattoo of the banjo on, on your arm right there, too. Yeah, it's an <laughs> ironic tattoo. So tell me about, for you, what were, what were those influences? What were the. Sort of countless, and I think we could go around and, you know, we could name every band. We're probably a fan of all of them between all four of us. Uh, ben and I went to Blink-182 last weekend and it was amazing and they played something like 17 hits or like 20, was it a 24 hit set in, so, in an hour yeah. no, an hour and a half <laughs> no seriously it right? was amazing every, yeah. every song was a massive tune like incredible band who have been like really consistent for a long time yeah and that's quite they, you know most people that would be quite a different kind of music to what we do it's a funny, but, it's a funny one isn't it because we, we talked about how people don't some people forget 
there's actually a lot of greatness. People say them. I mean, some people perceive them as more sort of just jovial, light-hearted, like because they've got you know, like blowjob songs and like yeah, the songs about fucking dogs. Or whatever. They did. They actually did one. They they they, put, they inserted my name in the blowjob song one night on stage. Stage years ago, I was bringing them on stage in like Buffalo, New York, and they were like uh, or <laughs> Albany, and they're like, "This one's called My People's Got a Blowjob." <laughs> and they did it, and they did the whole song that way, which is hilarious. But the principles of the songwriters, songs, yeah. beautiful, yeah, harmonizers. Uh, great musicians like they're an amazing band but they like you know and that's quite different from what we do and we, and we know we listen to to them we listen to everything you know yeah. we're, we're pretty open minded when it comes to we're close minded too that's great we love and, everything really and how about you Ted if, uh, is that, okay, would you second that or is there yeah of course yeah equally as eclectic I mean they're like albums I remember having in the car as a kid like Pet Sounds and um, they had a great Joe Cocker album my mum used to listen to all the time was it Mad Dogs and Englishman? I couldn't tell you I have no idea what it was there's a bit of Elton John kicking around so that was like where it began and from there we've all taken our various paths through all sorts of roots music and jazz and blues and folk and right up to the recent stuff that we all our friends were listening to at school in the sort of late 90s. Yeah. The Nirvana and the Corn and Limp Biscuit and all that stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's just every, literally everything. Yeah. yeah. That's really funny. That, you ever hear that on the end of the Significant Other, that album, yeah. that hidden track where the guy's going, I'm going to tell you that's me on that album, doing that crazy thing where I go, I'm the ball man, I'm here to tell you that lame ass team. That's, that's like a goof. It's me. Are you kidding? That's me on the album. No, no, no. Yeah, doing that rant. Because, Are you serious? Yeah, I wrote the rant too, including Fred's part where he goes, Pinfield, because he, he goes, Pinfield's fucking pissed. He goes, I gotta find out when you hear smashing up the studio. It's a fake. Really? That was me. I wrote the skit. They used to scare me so much. <laughs> I was so young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to get Did it freak you like, out? You go, oh my God, what's. Like, quick, turn it off, turn it off. It's scary. <laughs> I did the scary shit at the end. Is that funny, Mark? That's, <laughs> That's funny stuff. It's like Hail to the Thief when Tom York goes to me. He goes, say that one more time. I go, Hail to the Thief. He goes, fuck, that scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's was great. That's one of my favorite things. I have that yeah. old record up. Yeah, and I have yeah. it right near yours now, too, which is awesome. In my well, guys, thanks for coming by and doing this. Really thanks, appreciate man. it. It was great to see Thank you. Man. Great to see you. Thank great you so you. much. Oh, really. My pleasure. And I want to tell everybody to go out and pick up or download it and buy it from iTunes or wherever you get it from. But uh, the new album is called Babel. It's an incredible record. This has been the Hivecast. I'm Matt Pinfield. We'll see you again soon. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.